Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're having a good week so far. We're meeting together again around the scriptures today as we have our weekly Bible study. And uh, I'm going to take us back to the Old Testament today, to the second book of Samuel, to Samuel chapter 1. And uh, as you're busy turning in your Bible to there or getting your phone ready to have a look at it, uh, I'm going to invite us just to have a short time of silence and then to pray together. Let's do that. Lord, we still our minds and we remove the distractions from our day as we gather around your sacred scriptures. We are ready, Lord, to listen and to hear and to act. And so teach us, we pray, through the gift of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage for today uh, that I'm going to be sharing or for this week is actually one of the lectionary readings set for this coming Sunday. Um, and it's a very intriguing one, um, and one that I'm, I'm sorry I'm not preaching on, but um, I'm going to be sharing on the gospel reading on Sunday. But this one is well worth having a look at and also just posing a few questions. So 1 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 1 from verse 17. So the context, which I'm going to ask you to read, which is the first 16 verses, is that uh, Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle. And there's a whole, um, yeah, quite a bit of intrigue around how that happens. But then David gets notice of this. And then we come to verse 17, where the Bible tells us that David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. Later, he commanded that it be taught to all the people of Judah. It is known as the Song of the Bow, and it is recorded in the book of Jashar. Now, that's interesting before we even get a look at what David had to say and the meaning of that is that some people ask the question is like, what was the book of Jashar? That's J-A-S-H-A-R or maybe E-R, depending which translation you have. And um, the simplest definition we have is that it is a collection of poems that was more than likely around when the Old Testament was written. Now, bearing in mind the Old Testament was written over a long, long period of time, it's commonly thought that this collection of historical poems or writing was already in circulation. And so some of these um, references or poems found their way into the scriptures as well. So one of them is when uh, Joshua uh, speaks about how the sun and the moon stand still. You can go look at that in Joshua chapter 10. Um, he also intimated this is written in the book of Jashar. There's also an incident where um, Deborah, the song of Deborah, is uh, recorded in Judges chapter 5. They think that that's also part of a passage which was uh, from the book of Jashar. And then also these words that David is now going to, well, we're going to share from David. Um, it was asked that these, these words be recorded in the book of Jashar. Now, unfortunately, we, um, although people have tried to find this book, it seems that this book doesn't exist anymore, that it somehow got lost or destroyed many, many, many centuries ago. But it's worth just noting that, that these were compiled in ancient Israel, and they were, they were seen as, as poems of victory, poems for the upright, poems for the righteous. And um, certainly, I mean, just even as I've done a little bit of research in it, more than likely also 
the kind of things that would have inspired us, um, possibly like our Psalms or even um, like some of the words from Ecclesiastes and so on. But anyway, we don't really know about that or any more than that. So let's just leave it there. So David then starts this, um, this beautiful piece of poetry, a eulogy, a funeral song that he creates for Saul and Jonathan. And right from the beginning of this, I want us just to reflect on David's humility and also his willingness to forgive somebody who had caused him great harm. Because although David and Jonathan were great friends, um, and uh, as close as brothers, we know that Jonathan's father, King Saul, hated David and did all he could to get rid of David. He was very jealous of him. And, um, you know, when we dis discussed briefly a while ago that David was anointed by Samuel as one of the youngest sons of Jesse, he was anointed at a young age. He eventually be becomes king of Israel after Saul is, is killed. But there's about a 15-year, at least a 15-year time lag between his anointing as a young teenager and eventually becoming king of Israel. And in that time, in that, let's just say, 15-year time period, David was chased by Saul. He, David had to go into hiding. And certainly we could, from a human perspective, understand that there wasn't much love lost between the two of them. Yet, when we read these words that David composes, there, there is this sense of respect, respect for a fallen hero, respect for a fallen king. Um, and even if David didn't like Saul as a person, he respected him as God's chosen king over Israel. And so this is how he starts off verse 19. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. How the mighty heroes have fallen. So he uses the plural there. Uh, the mighty heroes he's talking about, particularly Saul and David, but would also speak about other men, other warriors who have fallen in battle. And um, that phrase is still in existence today. We speak about how the mighty have fallen. And usually that speaks about somebody who's very proud and arrogant, who ends up eventually being cut down to size or ends up um, passing away. So then verse 20 says, Don't announce the news in Gath, or the Philistines will rejoice. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, or the pagans will laugh in triumph. Just a little bit of understanding there. It's, it's possible that David is saying, look, don't go and tell the enemies that this has happened. Of course, they were going to eventually find out. But if it was publicly announced, there would be the sense of uh, maybe the enemies feeling now they could come and attack the Israelites because they were vulnerable, or in David's words, that the pagans, the, the non-believers would laugh and say, look how your king, the one that God anointed, look how he has died now. You know, why wasn't God taking care of him? And almost like dealing with that ridicule and, um, and rebuke from, from their enemies. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you or on your slopes. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. So that um, mountains of Gilboa refers to where Saul was killed. You can have a look back around about verse 6 to see how that happened. Um, so out of almost like a mark of respect or, or in, in grieving, David is saying, that, look, that there needs to be um, no dew or rain. And, and remember, rain is a sign of blessing. 
that let there be none of that on the slopes of Gilboa to mark the mourning and the passing of, of King Saul and his, his son Jonathan. Um, both Saul and Jonathan killed their strongest foes. They did not return from battle empty-handed. Now, that, that's interesting because obviously they, they were killed in battle there. Um, I don't have a clear answer for us in that, but maybe if you want to do some digging around, you can find that. It could be speaking retrospectively um, to say that in the past they, you know, they killed their strongest foes um, and that they, you know, they didn't often return back empty-handed. Um, I'm not too sure. Maybe someone has an answer for us in that. Verse 23, how beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Now, <laughs> considering we know what we know about Saul, uh, there seems to be a little bit of irony in this. Jonathan, on the other hand, was a really gracious person and, and beloved, but maybe we could we could get a glimpse here of family loyalty. Although Jonathan tried to save David a number of times and did save him a number of times, he, he was probably caught in the middle of his deep love for his father, King Saul, and his respect for him as the king of Israel and as a warrior, but also for his friend. And like I said, you know, his friend who was closer to him than a brother. And and even though um, Jonathan was caught in the middle of this, the way they died together could have been seen as a sign of his complete devotion to his father, his loyalty. We aren't given too much detail as to how they eventually were, um, were, were cornered and killed. Um, it looks like they were just losing in the battle and eventually... Um, they were basically caught and surrounded and then and then killed. Um, but what David is saying is, yeah, they were together in life and together in death. So they lived together as a family, but even in death, they died together. Um, even though they were swifter than eagles and they were stronger than lions. Obviously, the eagle as, as one of the greatest birds of prey and a beautiful animal um, in life, Jonathan and Saul could have been seen as being as strong and as swift as an eagle and also as, as strong as lions uh, or stronger than lions. And maybe it's just a case of when David is singing the funeral song or creating the funeral song, he wants people to remember them in the prime of their lives. So that although they have dared, although they're dead and passed away, they, they had moments in their lives where it seemed they were invincible um, and no one could defeat them. Now, we sometimes do this when we share our own tributes and eulogies about someone that we've loved. You know, if someone is very frail and passes away in old age, that may be the way we remember them in their last few moments. But in their younger days, they may have been good sports, sportsmen or sportswomen or uh, been very strong or a whole lot of other things. And so we also try to remember those aspects of their lives. It's not just how they were in the end, um, possibly frail or um, on their deathbed, that we remember them. We remember them with all the other aspects of their youth and then in the prime of their lives. 
Verse 24 says, O woman of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in fine clothing and gold ornaments. Now normally women in the, the Jewish context and in some other cultures also, women would be the ones who would lead the weeping and the crying at a funeral. They would start it off. Um, often the women were the ones seen as, as the ones who were the grievers, um, would, would lead people in the, those songs of lament and weeping. And so when David is saying, O women of Israel, weep for Saul, he's saying, okay, start us off. Let's start this period of mourning. Um, bring us into the place of remembering who he was. David gives a reason here for saying, you know, for he dressed you in fine clothing and gold ornaments, which could just be a reflection on the wealth and the prosperity that Saul had brought to Israel. And not just to, to Israel, but to the women and to the men who made up the community of Israel. And, um, you know, as a, as a king, although he had many faults, Saul more than likely gave the spoils of, of war to those who were in his command and that got passed down. And so people got to enjoy the success of Saul in many of his military campaigns. And um, so this is why David is saying to the women of Israel, start the weeping um, so that we can grieve this, this great warrior. How the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead upon the hills. So we, we obviously have a bit of a repetition of, of what was said earlier on, which was in verse 19. This would be, a, I guess, just a little technique that a songwriter would use to to bring us back to the essence of what they're saying, that the mighty have fallen. Jonathan now lies dead upon the hills. And, and also we see in this verse, verse 25, a bit of a change. So David has been talking about Saul and how we must grieve for Saul and weep for Saul. And now he turns to Jonathan, um, obviously the son of King Saul, but also his good friend. And David maybe is picturing his friend lying on the hill um, on Mount Gilboa, being slaughtered and being killed. He says, uh, verse 26, How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And, and at this particular point, we see this deep connection and, and friendship between David and Jonathan. And that comes clear through other passages in the Bible. Um, and, and we don't need to be um, embarrassed of this or even have to put any sexual connotation onto this. It's just true that David and Jonathan were close, close friends, blood brothers, if you like. And maybe even as you are listening to this today, you would, you would also recognize that you have friends, um, sometimes of the opposite sex, sometimes of the same sex, who, who are almost like family to you. Friends who know you inside and out, friends who you can confide in, you can tell them your worst fears or your greatest dreams. And they, there just seems to be this connection with you. Now, David and Jonathan were like that. Um, obviously, like I said earlier on, it was hard for Jonathan because his father didn't like David and was jealous of him. But it didn't stop this connection that they had uh, with each other. And so much so that this kinship that they felt that later on in, in Samuel, you would remember that one of Jonathan's um, sons, the one who, um, who was born with a disability, Mephibosheth, I think that's his name, um, that David kept his, his promise 
to any of the descendants of Jonathan that he would take care of him. Um, and so this comes up later on. I'm just trying to flick through here to see where it is. Um, and for the life of me, I can't find it right now, but you can go and, and have a look of that. So it's it's Mephibosheth, um, the one with the very hard, the hard name. Um, that was a, a young man, it was a son, or uh, actually now I found it, 2 Samuel chapter 9. We see that this is um, one of the family of, of Jonathan. In fact, he was Jonathan's son. So we, we see that David's um, kinship and his friendship with Jonathan doesn't just stop in his death, but carries on even after he has passed away. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of woman. He says at the end of verse 26, which just shares that they shared something, a bond that even David wasn't able to experience or Jonathan with a, a woman. It was um, a deep, deep friendship between David and Jonathan. And then he ends off by saying, verse 27, how the mighty heroes have fallen, stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. Obviously, it kind of ends off the, the story of this, where one pictures them again lying on the battlefield, uh, stripped of their weapons. Um, is uh, Normally, that would happen when somebody uh, passed away or on the battlefield, that their weapons were stolen either by the enemies or stolen, or not stolen, but taken by someone in their, uh, on their own side who would... Um, who would bring them back, particularly if it was a person of royal standing like Saul, to show that he hadn't survived. Now, if you go back and read in the earlier part of chapter 1, you will see that this actually happened, that the Amalekite, uh, who ended up killing them, um, or putting them out of their misery, took King Saul's crown and one of his bracelets to prove that he had actually died. So David is saying here that they're stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. Now, that poor guy, that Amalekite, ended up losing his own life for that whole incident. But like I say, go and have a read there and see. It's kind of a bit tragic, but that's how things seem to play out in the Old Testament. So as, as we reflect on this, um, there's a lot of things, I guess, that could be sparking off in our minds. But the one or two things that I want to challenge us with, and um, then I want to leave us with a bit of a quote from, from Max Lucado, is, is around... Uh, certainly around forgiveness, first of all, that that the nature of David's prayer and his funeral song that he sings here um, or invites people to sing is not one of bitterness, but one of genuine mourning and of putting aside his differences to recognize the good in King Saul. And I think that makes David, uh, certainly in my eyes, it gives me gives him a lot of credibility. David could have written a very different funeral song here if he wanted to for Saul, which could have been passed on for generations and made David look even better than he already was. But he wanted to honor the position of Saul and the fact that he was the father of his good friend Jonathan. And Saul had a lot of good qualities, but in the end, things just fell apart for him. The second thing that it, um, it shows is the, is the deep friendship that, that one can have with another person and how we need people in our lives um, and I'm very very grateful for the friends that I have in my life and, um, and and obviously family but in terms of friendship having those people in our lives that we can turn to 
um, and also knowing that Christ is our friend, that he walks the journey of life with us and that he knows us more intimately than we even know ourselves. And then the other thing too was a little bit around loyalty, the Saul and Jonathan and how this is always a hard one is where I'm sure Jonathan was deeply aware of some of the things that his father was doing and wasn't wasn't always happy with that, but he still remained loyal to his father. And uh, I think that's an interesting thing also in terms of loyalty uh, to our family members, uh, maybe to those in the church family. We don't have to always agree with one another, but we can show our love for each other in the fact that we are willing to be loyal. Now, as I say, I wasn't there None of us was there when this battle played out, but maybe there was a chance where Jonathan could have escaped and saved his own skin, but he, he chose not to. Um, and he chose to, to fight alongside his father in, uh, in battle. And I think also sometimes in the church, particularly going through these difficult times of COVID now, it's very easy for us to, um, to almost abandon ship in some ways and look around at other Christians and get irritated with them and say, you know, these, why aren't these people behaving like this or why aren't they behaving like that? In the sense of, you know, does God call us to stick together in loyalty? Can we stay together even when we disagree on, on various things? Um, and that's some questions that one is worth, uh, worth, I think, posing and certainly thinking about. And lastly, this phrase that is repeated three times in this passage, how the mighty have fallen, how the mighty heroes have fallen. It reminds us that all of us as people will meet death, the greatest enemy for all of us. And um, knowing that Jesus himself has conquered death and he has been through that process and risen victorious on the other side, that gives us as Christians a hope. But it reminds us too that even the greatest leaders of all time and generation, that they too have passed away. And... um, yeah, that sometimes we get worked up when we see leaders doing a lot of evil things um, and maybe not having their their due or, or, or not being held to account. Just remember that even the mighty heroes of ancient times have, have, have died and have had to deal with those consequences and, and kept accountable to their own lives. In, in sharing this, uh, I was going to come to a close um, <clears throat> and it's, It's um, a quote from Max Lucado. He writes in in one of his reflections on this. He says this, David not only sang this song, he ordered that the people of Judah also be taught the song. Death was not soft-pedaled or passed over. Face it, fight it, question it or condemn it, but don't deny it. Don't heed, but do forgive those who urge you not to. Then Max Lucado carries on to say, God will lead you through, not around, the valley of the shadow of death. And by the way, aren't you glad that it's just a shadow? And I think that that's a wonderful way to end off, that the promise is that God will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes we, we hope to go around it, but God will take us through the valley. And remember, it's only a shadow. We hold on to that because Christ is the light and Christ is the one who goes with us always. Friends, I hope my ramblings have been interesting for you and I hope that they've also urged you to go and do a little bit more reading around this. 
2 Samuel chapter 1, and while you're there, you can read uh, even before and after that, and hopefully just gain some insight into the people of God and, and our history um, as God's children. God bless you, and I pray that God will add his blessing to his scriptures. Amen.